It's amazing what uh, is always there in Scripture, but my brain is so narrow that it takes a while for the Spirit to ripen it up enough that I can actually hear it. This wasn't to be a part of the message, but I, I just want to point this out. And John, just before we get to chapter 15, which is what we'll focus on today, Jesus says, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. Jesus is in the upper room. They're about to go out to the garden of Gethsemane. There he will be arrested, taken into custody. Within 24 hours, he'll be hanging from a cross. But that the world may know that I love the Father... And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise. Let us go from here. I've always thought it kind of odd, verse 34, but that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus is living out the parable he's about to speak. He lives as a vine. To bring glory to his vine dresser. I've always seen the cross as Jesus' expression of great love for me. And his great love for you. But in all truth, we are not worthy of the cross. So what motivated him? The one who is worthy. Out of the great love that he has for his father. Let us arrive and do. And as it is with the vine. As he is the true vine. So it can become for us. As he enables us to be true branches. That we might live for the father's glory. Because he is worthy. All the fruit. (laughs) Magnifies the vine dresser. It all goes back to him. He gets the bouquet at the end of the day. Because he is the one that's worthy. When we love others, we love them from our heart. We love them genuinely. But if our love depends upon their response, if they appreciate it, we're in trouble. We, we, We shy away from crosses. Especially those that no one applauds. But Jesus says, so the world may know that I love my Father. And he poured himself out on a cross. Stepped out of the upper room that night knowing what would happen. Judas had already left. He was in the process of betraying him. Judas knew where he would go next. There was a place that he prayed. The Garden of Gethsemane. He had been there many times with his apostles. It was not far from where the upper room was. Just out the city gates and across the Kidron Valley. Really not much farther than the Creek Nation Turnpike. And on the way that night, he shares this parable. It had to be amazing. Jesus... uh, had taught his disciples to pray, kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm sure that as he talked about the kingdom, their minds must have filled with the glory of the kingdom of God in breaking in their time. The Romans were going to be put in their place and they would arise to their place of glory. It's clear that the disciples are anticipating that happen, that kingdom coming in that form Because they're arguing about who would be the greatest in that kingdom when it comes on their way to the upper room. They're they're on the cusp of real, you know, they think the kingdom could come at any moment. They've put out of their minds the shape of that kingdom as Jesus has told them that it would be a kingdom of servant love. A kingdom of made possible by those who are willing to bear crosses and that he would lead the way. Teach us to pray. 
The disciples had seen that as the very power source of Jesus' life. Jesus has modeled what this full, abundant life of being a disciple and a follower of Christ can be. He's modeled for them that inward life where he found time with his father to, to, to drink in his love, to know of his power, to become convinced of his provision, and then to go out into the world and ministry and pour himself out to so many who were in need. And in the same way, he has summoned his disciples to himself. Jesus chose 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out. After he summons them, he sends them. Right in the middle of this farewell address, as many call it, the Four or so chapters in John that run from John 13 to John 17. All that happened in the upper room that night before Jesus was arrested and went to his cross. Jesus in this parable, right in the midst of all this, it's like it's framed by the whole event of Jesus' life. He speaks, I am the true vine. If we would know this God that we can know through Jesus Christ, we must look at the way Jesus revealed that God. Not cheapen him with imaginations of what this God might be, but study exactly what Jesus said God was and put his signature under the description. This is Christ's own picture of this rhythmic life of an inward journey with God that transforms us. His kingdom comes within and then he living in us can join God's activity in the world in this outward life expressed in service and love. In this particular parable, Jesus is going to forever, in one image, connect all that is the roots of this life with the fruits of this life. And what stands between is the vine and the branches. The roots to the fruits. These were really Jesus' last words. I don't know if you've ever been called to someone's bedside to hear their last words. They're often words you never forget. Come closer. Come closer. I've been meaning to tell you, but I... Not until now. But I must tell you now. If you've ever had that kind of experience, you know what riveted attention the disciples must have had for what Jesus was about to say in this specially chosen moment. He's already told them that these were his last words. He's not going to say much more to them, but as they get up to go out, he speaks this parable. I don't know if Jesus turned around at the door to the upper room and said, guys, one last thought. This is it. I am the vine, you are the branches. I don't know if it was there or if they walked out on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane and along the way saw the vines, maybe saw still the smoldering fires from the prunings of of, of that season where a vine dresser had gone through his vines and cut away all the stuff that was robbing the vine of its power to really produce fruit, all those sap suckers, uh, all those long tendrils that were just growing out in, 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 in uh, a reckless way, but, but not creating any fruit, the vine dresser would come back and cut those short. So all the energy that was going into that long vine now is concentrated right at that point. And they do that on purpose. So at that point, the fruit pops out. It's in an effort to create a vine that's fruit-bearing that the vine dresser does all of his dressing. Maybe some of that had happened that day. Maybe like um, my cedar bush shavings. Those things had, had, had dried up enough that now they could gather them. They could pick them out of the vines where the living stuff and the dead stuff were obviously different. And they could be taken away so that all of that waste could be done away with in the glory of the vine. come into its fullness. I I, I don't know where it was. We don't know exactly, but we know it was somewhere between the front door of the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane. 
that Jesus speaks these words. Can you imagine it? They have just been participants in Jesus, as John describes it, loving his own. He loved them to the end. And he took about himself a towel and a basin and he washed their prideful feet. When Jesus speaks this, those feet are still wet. They've heard his bottom line. Love one another as I have loved you. So prove to be my disciples. They've heard him talk about leaving them and that must have been shattering. And they've heard him talk about the spirit. The spirit that was to come, that was to be their helper, that would not just be with them, but would be within them. And as if to somehow gather it all together in one image, he speaks this picture of what it means to live with Christ as his disciple. I am the vine. That night at Passover, Jesus had taken up the cup. The cup at Passover that was to be the cup that the Messiah would only take upon his return. It was, a, it, it was like the cookie we leave out for Santa at Christmas. <laughs> it, it was a reference to one who was to come, right? But nobody eats Santa's cookie, at least knowingly. That night, Jesus had taken that symbolic cup. And lifted it and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. They had said it and he had affirmed it. But now, he was owning it. He is the Messiah. Can you imagine the kind of anticipation for kingdom come this group must have had? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And and he frames it all with this. The world has not known. And so God sent his son. Let's look at the... Chapter 17. That night he will finally end his discourse in... Praying this prayer, John chapter 17, verse 26 and uh, 25 and 26. O righteous Father, although the world has not known thee, yet I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have made thy name known to them, and will make it known that the love wherewith thou didst love me may be in them, and I in them. How? How is that? And Jesus paints for them the picture of the vine. And their part in that picture, they they and we are, are the branches. Jesus says that I am the true vine. How how would you finish that phrase? I am the vine. I am the vine. Most of us always go, I am the vine, you're the branches. And that's the heart of it. But that's not where it starts. (laughs) Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. What do you mean? Jesus is saying, I am the vine. I am the planting of the vine dresser. I am his source for you. His chosen source for you. And I am fulfilling that role that he intends for me to have in your life. I will be your vine. Everything the vine can be to the branch, I will be to you. I am the planting of that vine dresser. I am one with the Father, the creator of all. He is the creator. I will be the, sustain, uh, the, the redeemer. The spirit will come as the sustainer. I am the true vine. The, the, here, genuine, real, authentic vine. In other words, in me, it is wise for you to not only give your absolute dependency, but because I am that planting and I am that vine, 
you can do it with perfect confidence. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser, uh, the source of the whole vineyard. He is the one who planted it. He is the one that's fertilizing it. He's the one that's keeping it, caring for it, defending it. He is in the end the receiver of all the fruit that will come from it. We have the same keeper, shaper, as did Jesus. He takes responsibility for our fruitfulness too. Jesus had modeled as the vine the life that we're to live as the branches. He said, I do nothing of myself, but what I see the Father doing, then that I do. He modeled a life of not only dependence on the strength of God, but absolute confidence in the one on whom he depended. And he's going to call us to that same kind of posture with him. He is the vine dresser. And the vine dresser always works to maximize the fruit. Both its character and its abundance. And so if we are branches that have fruit, what is fruit? Does that mean uh, souls that we've won to Christ? Perhaps does that mean uh, uh, works that we've done that were a blessing to God, perhaps? Does that mean things that we've done that were good for others, perhaps? But, but, but listen, to the, I love that it's called fruit. You see, a machine can do work. But fruit only comes from living things. And I think there's the possibility that we, even as Christians can do a lot of work with God and even for God. But, but unless our good intentions worked out with our well-intended actions have in the midst of them the heart of the God that initiated them, then our works wither. They, they have no uh, lasting kingdom impact in fact, they even can misrepresent the flavor of the vine dresser. Uh, we can work in such a way as to make the world think that a God is a God of sour grapes. <laughs> See what I did there? Isn't that good? Rather than a God of mellow, sweet, satisfying love. Fruit. It's the giveaway part of the tree, the giveaway part of the vine, right? So that the fruit in our lives is not anything that satisfies ourselves. It's something we give away for the glory of God and to the blessing of others. And we as branches, oh, the vine dresser longs that we be fruitful. The fruit is the love of God. Flowing from Christ as Christ has loved us so we can love one another and others. The fruit is the produce of spirit sap. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's Christ-likeness in us that the, the vine dresser is encouraging that's the aim for his pruning. And it talks about us being pruned here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. So both are cut. One bears more fruit. One bears no fruit at all withers away and dies. We are already clean because of, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Well, the, there's the shears. You are already clean. Not, not clean in that you've had a bath. Clean as a, as a, as a vine has been cleaned and pruned. Uh, of all the stuff that is sap sucking, 
When God prunes, he prunes in such a way by his word to call us from those things that are not life and towards those things that are life. To call us from those distractions that are dead ends to uh, the life-giving stuff that's from him that can build us up and, and, and fill us with his life so that we can become those that bear his fruit uh, to others. Even his pruning is for our good and that within us we might bear more fruit, be more like him. No, these are the options. The, the branch bears fruit. The branch bears more fruit. And in the end, he talks of a branch that bears much fruit. The body building up itself in love. Until we attain the fullness. This is the vine dresser's desire. But there's more here than just the vine and the fruit. Uh, the vine dresser. He, here's the central command. Abide in me and I in you. As Jesus is God's planting, in this parable, we are God's grafting. You know, in the first nine verses of John chapter 15, the word abide is mentioned eight times. Eight times in nine verses. I think God's trying to say something here. Eight times in nine verses, abide. It's the very name of our church, abiding harvest. From the heart of this parable came... The phrase that I, hopefully identifies us as, as a people. Well, what does it mean to abide? Uh, in, in some places in this same passage, that very same word is translated remain. But, but I think abide is closer. I've heard some people describe it as abiding is making your home in something. Your abode, right? So uh, Jesus calls us to abide in his love, to make his love our home, and to let him in his love have us as a home, that we might abide in him and that he might abide in us. And in this mutual kind of reaching into each other's life, the graft is formed. When a limb or a branch is grafted into a vine, first of all, the vine has to be cut open. There's a scarring to that vine. There's a plant blood that must be shed. And then the branch finds its place. And nothing to do with the branch itself the branch is enabled by the vine to extend its fibers into, because of the, the life that's coming up out of the vine, it enriches the, the, the branch to send its fibers into the vine itself. So it's not even as if God is putting the pressure on us to grow to some degree uh, on our own efforts to connect with him. He is saying, I am responsible for this. I am the vine. See, you, you, you graft into me and my sap goes up into the limb and the, and the, the limb reaches down into, into the vine and I enable all that and this, this bond that is formed is of the vine's making. And in fact, the only difference between the vine and a branch is a vine has life in itself. A branch does not. And, and, and so the sustenance of the branch is dependent upon the vine, not the other way around. And Jesus is painting a picture for us that our lives are as much that kind of grafting as his was. You know, that he was that connected to the Father, so we're called to be that connected to him. Jesus would go away for times of prayer in which he would focus his heart on that kind of nurturing of the sap life of God. But he also lived day by day, moment by moment, I do nothing unless I see the Father doing. It was a moment-by-moment moment, uh, kind of connection. And when we, as true branches, are grafted into that true vine, man, true fruitfulness, God has a way of taking care for. Abide. 
The vine is the source of life and strength. Without the vine's help, the, gra- uh, the branch would never even bond. The branch is dependent upon the vine. We can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because we're a branch. Because in our weakness, he is made strong. This kind of dependent life is what Christ calls every branch to. He saves some branches and those branches are are grafted into the vine. We who have been saved know that great gift. But the whole purpose of being saved, listen, is not just to get us into heaven. It's to get the stuff of heaven into us. In the vine parable, getting into heaven isn't even in view. He has saved us so that we might be fruitful, so that we might enjoy the life of God, that we might know God. And the son who who he has sent, that is eternal life. Knowing, being connected to him, letting his life define us, flow through us. We're saved that we might bear the fruit of God's very character and love in this world. But folks, when, when we bear that fruit to the world... We branches should know where it came from. (laughs) Now, what often happens is one of the primary ways we get detached from the vine is by thinking of ourselves as the producers of the fruit. And if we think in our own strength and in our own cleverness and our own wisdom, we can produce that kind of fruit in the world, it, that very confidence turns us away from that which gives us that strength. Do you follow me? And, and, and so where do we turn? Okay, do, do this for me. Uh, I want this to live for us. Do, do the, hold your hands out like this for just a second. Try not to bop the person next to you. And, and when you hold your hands out like, like this, I want you to pick one side to be your roots and the other side to be your fruits. Now you figure out which that is. Don't get confused. Okay? One side is your roots. Let's do it this way. Your left side is your roots. Your right side is your fruits. Right? Now most of us, when we look at our lives and we see something that's withered and unproductive and unlike Christ, what do we do? Do we turn to our roots or we turn to our fruits and go, get better, get better, get better, get better? Right? Jesus is teaching us that all that is connected, but at the point that we realize that our lives have become withered, that our lives are not as fruitful as we would want them to be, that our lives are not the fruit that our God is deserving of, instead of going, ooh, I better get better or God's going to cut me off. That is not what Jesus is saying here. He is saying when you realize you're withered and you're unfruitful, don't turn to your fruits, turn to the vine. See? Abide. There's there's only one command in this whole passage, and it is not be fruitful. You will not find it. You know why? Because that's God's part. He living in us makes us eternally fruitful. That's his responsibility. He's the vine dresser. Oh, for the sweet relief of being a branch. Just being a branch. Knowing that, that he holds us. That he supplies through us. And that we only have to have confidence in him as the vine in order to become what we need to be as the branch. If we trust that, if we trust him, if we connect with him, if we let his life, his character, his spirit live in us and through us, fruit's going to happen on its own. Now, even those of us that are fruitful, from time to time, God will prune. 
Did you notice that? It was the fruitful ones that were pruned. He, he cuts away from time. You ever read God's word and go, hmm, all that stuff I did last week was a waste. You ever done that? Have you ever read God's word and then looked at your daytimer? That, that can be a revealing exercise. All the stuff that I get involved in, churned up by, connected to, right? But, but God, by his word, forever calls me back to him, to himself, to that from which I am defined, to the source of my living. And if, if, if I neglect that for all this other stuff, or even if in all that other stuff I'm absent of that, then all the work may not be fruit. We are the branches. But it says here, unless we abide in the vine, except we live in him, we, we, we can do nothing. We know the fate of the fruitless branches. They're, they're taken away. They're thrown away. They're dried up. They're, they're burned up. Now, in my theology of salvation, that whole image puckers me up. But, Jesus said this. I better deal with it. The vine dresser in this particular parable has taken responsibility for our fruit. He's not wanting to condemn us for, for fruitlessness. But he does call us to himself when we realize our lives are fruitless. I don't think this is a parable about people burning in hell. I think this is a parable about the absolute waste of sap in us. That the goodness of God can become if we don't abide in him and take what's available from him and then apply it somehow in our lives. Our lives, unless we take, so this is what Jesus is saying. Look, if, if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you're worried about your life being not fruitful enough, uh, don't get mad at God because he's going to burn it up. That, that's not what God's saying. What he's saying is, turn to me the vine. There's no reason for our lives to be so fruitless if we have this Jesus available to us all the time. We live distracted, detached, often consciously disconnected lives from God. He says that these branches that are taken away, that they're thrown away, that they're dry up, that they're burned up. But that's not the sequence in which they're mentioned that that happens in the actual process. The first step in the order is the branch no longer remains. Then it withers. And then it becomes waste. How do you know if you're abiding? If you're a withering branch or a fruitful branch, which are you? Sometimes I get my best stuff from you guys after the messages. It makes me think some of you ought to be preaching up here. But this last week as someone walked out the door, they said, what you're describing this morning is dog and cat theology. And I kind of furrowed my brow. I'd never heard of dog and cat theology. And, and she said, um, yeah, you know, a dog. A dog says, I'm fed, I'm sheltered. My master grooms me. My master cares for me. Wow. My master must be God. Whereas a cat, uh, a cat says, wow, I'm, I'm fed. I'm sheltered. My, my master uh, cares for me. I must be God. <laughs> Dog and cat theology. What are we living for? 
It's not so if I'm withering, I better get fruitful. It's if I'm withering, let me renew my connection to the vine. And this is the only way really that a living branch of a person differs from the uh, plant branch of an actual vine. A plant branch, when it's grafted into the vine, grows by the very force of nature. It really has no will involved in the situation. It is grafted there by the vine dresser, held there by that mending until that force of nature has its way with the branch. But you are not that kind of inanimate uh, life form. God made you with the capacity to either love or reject love. And so God, when he calls us to himself, works with our consent. He doesn't make us his puppets because he wants a relationship with us. And so this passage eventually comes to the point where we're encouraged to ask If you abide in me and I abide in you, ask what you will. But listen, that that is a will that has been forged by being so connected to the vine that you gain his heart. And having gained his heart, your eyes are open to the things that he notices in this world. And so with that vine pressure sap behind you and that awareness before you, you become a conduit for connecting the love of God to where it's needed in this world. And when you pray in that flow, what you ask, count on your vine to do. This last uh, week, I was living this out. And in in a few weeks, you're going to get a chance to do just that. Uh, On April 16th, five other United Methodist churches, along with us, uh, are going to get together on a Saturday and five or six hundred United Methodists are going to go into our community at one time for the sole purpose of blessing others. I think that's so cool. Uh, it, it's going to be a day of service. And we're calling it Broita. Broken era, Coita. I know, not very creative, but that's what we're calling it. The, the Broita M- Mission Day. And, 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 and there's going to be awesome things happen. Uh, one of those things is going to be that we are going to, as we've done in our church before, it's a huge task. So I'm glad to have five or 600 other Methodists working on it with us is, is we're going to have 40,000 pounds of potatoes delivered to first Methodist over in Broken Arrow. And then people from our church, from other churches and many other mission projects going on that same day. But this will be one of the biggest ones. We will repack those potatoes into 10 pound bags so they can be given away. And many of those will go to, uh, food banks and, and emergency shelters and things in, in our community, we're going to empower them to love their people with these potatoes, right? But I thought, wouldn't it be cool if uh, we had teams that went out with 10-pound bags, maybe a, a, a pickup load of them, and just went into a neighborhood where we thought people might appreciate them and just go door-to-door and give them away, just say, Jesus loves you. Hope you can enjoy some potatoes. They're really good. God bless. And, and, and just bless people. <laughs> and the idea got shot down. It got shot down. It, it, And I'm almost embarrassed to tell you why. This was the rationale. Who are we to go into those neighborhoods pretending that we have something to give them? How condescending it would be of us to show up in a neighborhood where we have prejudged them as being the needy and we are somehow putting them down by that expression of middle-class generosity. I would like to say something generous here, but I just don't get that. 
I just don't get that. Now, it's true that if we thought that we were branches that did things of ourselves, and these were our potatoes and no one else's, and that these other people were the have-nots and we were the haves, if we did this as branches of ourselves, sure, that attitude could come across. So glad to help you, aren't I a nice guy? You know, you know. Bow down and tell me what a wonderful person I am to think of someone like you on a day like this. You know what I mean? There, there, there's, there's that branch attitude that does that as a work of itself that I think they're absolutely right. If we did it with that attitude, it would be absolutely fruitless. It would be offensive. But if we've marinated in the heart of God and we show up because we're there to glorify the God who's worthy of a lot more than a 10-pound bag of potatoes, then even if those folks spit in our eye and close the door, we can, with a smile and with joy, leave a 10-pound bag of potatoes leaning against the door. Right? If, If we approach people with the love of our Christ, we will do it with respect We will do it with humility. We will do it as a branch to a branch. One beggar just sharing with another where we're finding bread. There is no arrogance in that whatsoever if we do it with the Spirit of Christ. And you know what I was disappointed in? Uh, Well, I'm sneaky. So I said, well, okay. We'll distribute all the potatoes through those centers, but uh, Abiding Harvest wants a couple of truckloads. We'll take a couple of truckloads, and I don't know how we'll distribute them. I'll ask God how I, I make that wise. We may go into a neighborhood and have a festival and music and potatoes and be frying them right there and giving them away and then t- giving them a bag to take home. We might be going door to door, passing them out like that. But, but the whole point of this, as I understand it, if we're expressing God's heart, is to connect with people, to build a connection, to start a relationship. Because it's through a relationship to those who are related to Christ that so many who don't know that connection get the opportunity to be connected. We're not doing that to show off ourselves. If, 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 we want to be light. We, we, we want to take a bag of potatoes and they not say, wow. What a mature spiritual person. That is not the point. I mean, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd like for them to smile, but, you know, that's not the point. The, the point is to plant a seed in their minds. This is not of the world. Who, who shows up on my doorstep with food to give away? This is not of this world. What is it of? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, if we're really branches, we know that all that is fruit in us starts with that flow that began at Calvary. Right? And and we are just the branch. So at the end of the day, we want God to get credit for it, not us. And he, he can prune us along the way. He can show us attitudes in ourselves that, 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 that don't glorify him. And, and, and hopefully we'll surrender those to God and we can change. I'm, I'm all for the pruning that might come from an experience like that. But God places us as a branch, as a, as a, as a priest, as one connecting God to people and connecting people to God. We, we, we're, in, we're that conduit, peace of the picture. God calls us to be intercessors, intercessors like our Lord who looked upon the crowds and saw them as sheep without a shepherd, downcast, in need. And what did he say? He said, pray. Just as he says here, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it shall be done for you. When you have his heart and see the world through his eyes, you pray the prayers that are right down the center of his will, and it actually incorporates you into that flow. 
But pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he send out workers into his field. And it's interesting to me as Matthew 9 becomes Matthew 10, as it closes with that prayer of intercession with those disciples that Jesus had summoned to himself to know his heart for these people, he now sends them in chapter 10, two by two, to meet those needs. Those who are the intercessors and praying for that need become the very conduits by which it's satisfied. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he send workers into the field. I don't want to just go. I want us to be sent by the very love of God. And in the end, the result is this. In verse 8, it says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. How do we prove to be his disciples? By loving others as he has loved us. This is his commandment to us, that we love one another. He spoke it this very night, the very night that he speaks this, 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 this parable. The end result is that God gets the glory. At the end of the day, he's the one that's glorified, both by the branch and by those who enjoy the fruit. But it doesn't end there. Look in verse 11. I love this. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. I wasn't thinking about this passage but I, I wish I had better control of my tongue. Sometimes I just, you know, ready, fire, aim it. You know what I mean? Uh, we, we were talking, a bunch of us ministers, about that. And I started hearing all those, you know, no, we can't go door to door. That's the only part about this whole thing that I'm terribly uncomfortable with. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Uh, you know what came out of my mouth? As they said, well, let's just give it to the agencies. They know these people. Let them distribute the food. Out of my mouth came, where's the fun in that? Where, where's the fun in that? Now, if you know someone who attends one of these other Methodist churches, you are sworn to silence never to repeat this conversation. Do you understand what I'm saying? But, but that's what leapt out of my mouth. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm talking to, you know, yeah. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, where's the fun in that? If, if, if you ever have had the experience of being the conduit between the loving heart of God and someone else that he loves... You have experienced joy. And for more of that joy, God has made us. For more of that joy, he wants us connected to himself, not just for heaven, but for what he can flow through us right here, right now, to all other people around us for the sake of that joy. But this is the bottom line, folks. You are not an inanimate branch. You are a living thing. Which means your spirit gives consent to the flow of the vine. He doesn't force it. We choose it. He says, ask. Just ask. Ask and a door opens. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall open. Just ask. This morning you may be withered. This morning you may not be as fruitful as you would like to be. But this morning that can change with an ask. With a simple ask that trusts the vine to be who and what the vine says he is. Oh, for the release and the relief of just being a branch. No longer thinking that we have to be good enough. God does all the goodness through us. We just let him flow. At this morning, your hearts want to attach to that vine. I pray that you start that attaching here and you continue it every day of your life. For our vine dresser, 
is the one who watched over and lived through the vine himself. And he is the true vine that we might have, be enabled to be the true branches. Let him cut away the sap suckers this morning. Let him eliminate the distractions. And instead of being depressed about how not fruitful your life is, let that only be an indicator of where it is that you turn to become more fruitful, to become more alive, to live with him in you as you give yourself to him. Let's pray. Lord God, these altars are are your altars. And as your spirit calls, I pray that we have uh, the wisdom to yield, to respond, to abide, to give you permission to live in us with greater power. And Father, we ask you this day that you give us more of a connection to you than we've ever known before. We pray that you would fill us with your life and all those places that our lives are fruitless. Come live in us, Lord Jesus, our vine. This morning we turn to you. We inspected the fruit. We turn to the vine. And we ask, Lord Jesus, fill us again by the power of your Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and sing as he sings over his vineyard.